On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group finishes their conversation on Pink Floyd's Animals. Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Tom Corcoran, Paul Zotter, and Ken Gregory as we finish out our conversation on Pink Floyd's Animals. Welcome back for the conclusion of Pink Floyd Animals. Tom is sporting the outstanding Skype background of the Battersea Power Station with algae in full flight. Very nice, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you. Wanted to be festive. Well, you achieved that in spades, my friend. <coughs> this has been the longest podcast of all time. Has it only been seven days since we talked last? That is correct. This? Yep. Yes. It's, it feels like it's been a very long time. You know, again, when we started the, the episode, the, the last episode, I, I really, th- and I always think this, I think, oh, this is going to be a really short episode. We'll be out in, in an hour. And <laughs> we talked for like two hours and we only got through the, the first half of the album. Yeah. Now, we, we did a lot of context talking, which is, is very cool and very necessary. And, um, you know, so, okay, cool. We make two episodes out of it. It's, it's not a big deal, but it, it does, it, it's just, it was unexpected for me to be talking about animals this long. And I'm kind of chomping at the bit because I've, I've been wanting to talk about the wall for a really long time. And I keep sort of, the longer we, we stay here, the more I cheat and have been listening to to the wall in its various mm-hmm. forms and mm-hmm. and reading about it and 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 contemplating the sheer scope and I'm thinking wow we're going to need like three or four episodes just to talk about the album because it's mm-hmm. there's so much there um there's so much music there's so much like lore it, it there's a whole lot but but that's not where we are today mm. we are here to finish up side 2 of of animals so I guess the first thing we we probably ought to do is ask the question of, you know, has anything popped up sort of bonus in terms of lore or context or or overall thoughts in the last week in this bonus time to think about this album? Yes. (laughs) Always. (laughs) Um, I would say in terms of the, 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 the uh, year 1977, Something popped out at me while listening to Pigs, three different ones. And it had to do with, hey, you White House. <laughs> yes. And I'm, I'm like, who was in the White House? So for bonus points in 1977, which Republican left and which Democrat entered the U.S. White House? Gerald, Gerald Ford Mitchell. left. Gerald Ford left and uh, Jimmy Carter came uh, in. Yeah. There you go, kids. 
But I think you might want to check the lore on that one. Yeah. Oh, shit. Have I been had? You've been had because oh. apparently the the name White House refers to a specific person, um, a woman whose name I do not know or can't remember, um, but she was some some person of notoriety in the UK at the time, I believe. Yeah, that was in that one interview um, where I, 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 I want to say that Roger Waters seemed to kind of backpedal and, and said that he felt like his treatment of her may have been a little over the top, not unnecessary. But then he kind of said, nah, it's okay. I did it anyway. But I mean, it, it, I, I had the same thought originally, Ken, because it, it does seem like such an obvious shot for him to take. And I mean, in 1977, who knows, maybe it was different, but we come at this from the perspective of, you know, knowing the final cut and like the final cut is basically him attacking every world leader on every side of the spectrum anyway. So it, it, it makes a certain amount of sense, I think, to to assume that's what it, it is. And I was very surprised, and I guess it was that interview, as you said, Paul, when I heard that. I'm like, really? I, I had no idea. Because I was thinking exactly along the lines that you were. Yeah. So it, it was Mary Whitehouse. Uh, she was a uh, morality campaigner who was described as a house-proud town mouse. And he said in 1992 on uh, some anniversary special with Jim Ladd that White House mentioned had nothing to do with the home of the U.S. president. Um, however, I would say that the, the, the video that I watched on um, YouTube of, I guess, the last tour that – or one of the last tours that Waters did where he played this and the video montage that went along with the song was basically nothing but Donald Trump. So I think in the modern-day version, White House – can be taken to mean exactly what you said. And I want to say, Paul, that while that was going on and the video montage, and it's it's funny. Well, it's not funny. My memory is such crap that I can't remember. There was some sort of inflatable cruising around the arena at the yes. time that had something to do with Trump. And I don't know. I don't think it was a Trump baby, but it may have just been like a pig that said Donald it, Trump or something. Or Yeah. So I, the video that I saw – so this is – it's funny that you mentioned this because I found this to be absolutely crazy and ironic. So it was like a – it was an inflatable pig. But it was more like a warthog pig with like, mm -hmm. you know, tusks. Nice. And it was graffitied um, something immense. And I want to say that he has used the sort of this graffiti filled pig for many tours. And I know he's been criticized for things that have been written on the pig. Um, uh, whether it's been, you know, just, you know defamation towards certain you know races or creeds or governments or whatever um and but what i found and i couldn't really in the video i couldn't really see anything that was written on there but what i found to be just fascinating and ironic is that you know he's he's playing this giant show in a, in, a, in a stadium with just tens of thousands of people he launches this inflatable pig and it's not floating over everybody like in the air. 
it's literally just pushed out like it almost like a giant humongous beach ball and everybody's pushing it across the stands and i was like isn't this what he got pissed off at during the animals tour to begin with people not paying attention to the music and fucking around and <laughs> shooting off firecrackers and stuff so i just thought it was funny well yeah and and you know there's so much to that um that i i just find to be very very interesting but but yeah it's who knows i i had a life revelation in regards to my own life and talking about what what you were just talking about paul uh, in in regards to um the animals tour and it was after i had watched a roger waters interview on online actually it was a it was a radio interview i was just listening to 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 the interview but he, he was talking about the whole animals tour thing that that happened and he was sort of venting about it it wasn't he didn't have a lot of angst sorry joe i know you hate that word but he he was he, he was venting i came across something that i i have done in my life and maybe you guys can relate to I will love a band and it's maybe not a super popular band, but then as the band gets more and more popular, I'll say, Oh gosh, you know, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to listen to these guys anymore because they're, they're selling out or they're, they're, they're getting too big or, you know, you, I have like this intimate relationship with a band and somehow I feel that if the band gets too big, I guess it's just my own narcissism or just weirdness. I feel that like I can't enjoy the band as much as if too many other people would like them. And that was more of a high school thing. Um, when I would listen to certain bands and they would get big, I would just sort of like maybe not be as fervent of, of a fan that I, I, I originally was. And I always I, like I didn't like that about myself because like I, I was weird. I was like, it's very uh, like a superficial thing. Like why why do I feel this way? Like any band worth their salt would want to have more people in the stands. Any band is going to want to sell more albums. Any band is going to want to get their music out to as m many people as possible. So just <clears throat> just sort of like I just like told myself to get over it and that. You know, what a, this like weird thing that I grew up with was just sort of silly until I listened <laughs> to this interview uh, with Roger Waters. And I was like, God, so he's talking about the whole animals tour. And then he's talking about the whole Montreal show at the end. And he tells a story about the kid who was i guess he was climbing the fence or he was doing something they wasn't paying attention and roger waters spit at him and it, and roger waters you know felt bad about it after he did it but he was talking about it and this is some of the things that you were saying paul he was just like there's just it's so disheartening to you know be playing to people who really aren't listening and there's there was like crowds and, and I mean there was even I mean the animal tour I think you know it was they were playing to something like sixty thousand people or whatever I mean at some of these stadiums uh, and 
he was saying that just like he, they couldn't even hear themselves play because everyone was screaming so loud. And I'm sure everyone will have something different that they read about this because this is like a big uh, thing that happened in the in the in the life of Pink Floyd. There was like, it was definitely a, 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 a turning point. Um, but Roger was just saying that you know this was this was the end, and I ever since then I, I vowed never to have the, an outdoor you know, play in an outdoor stadium, which is why they didn't do the wall in any of the outdoor stadiums. You know, I know the mayor of Philadelphia tried to get him to JFK. I mean, there's all these things, but, and like he, he wouldn't do it. Actually, I think he ended up doing it at some point, but he actually held out for a while. So anyway, I'm thinking about this going like, well, Roger Waters is, is describing how he feels about about how he feels about a lot of people at the shows, the lack of intimacy, and the people who are just sort of screaming, and he calls it that they're um, they're sort of like you know they almost think of the you know the the the, the fans are almost thinking of you know, Floyd the Pink Pink Floyd as, as gods, and he didn't feel comfortable with it, and he wanted to back off. So I I sort of was it it it, it made sense to me. Okay, like this sort of backwards thing that happens made sense to me. And, and I was like, well, okay, I can kind of see why I would, you know, in my, you know, high school years or whatever, not want to have kind of wanted to give up. I I didn't want to give up that intimacy I had with a band that wasn't super popular. And so there was a little bit of a link between how I felt as a 16 year old kid and even how Roger Waters felt as even back then he was you know a superstar and it's sort of silly when you think about not wanting to play in front of huge people but when you break it down and you listen to someone's side of the story you can kind of understand it and i know roger waters will ultimately be on the chopping block throughout you know you know the, pretty much the rest of the uh, floyd episodes some some of it will be um justified some of it won't but i i don't in this in this point i kind of saw his his point of view Mm. and seeing it from the other side of the the aisle and just seeing it through the fans eyes and ears so i don't know i just um, yeah i kind of understand what he was doing I, i think we have to ask ourselves though I mean, what would Sid Barrett have said about this? There you go. Thanks for bringing it up, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> because cause really, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but like Sid Barrett sort of started this band, you know, and, and he was really, really influential in the way their music developed, um, even right up through today. Um, Sid Barrett's influence is still felt on Pink Floyd. So it's it's very important to consider this from the perspective not only of of whiny pants Roger Waters, but also Sid Barrett as well. <laughs> I'm just, sorry, Tom. Oh, I just had fantastic. I just had to work in Sid Barrett. I mean I, I, so, I, so I, Sid I, approves the spitting. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know if Sid Barrett would know. I, I I'm and Tom, I, I, I'm glad that you said that, and I understand exactly what you're saying to some degree, but I, oh, I, I'm so conflicted over this because 
when I was reading about this in a couple different places and listening to the interview, and it just it it, it wears me out. And there's a there's a quote that I heard, and it, it may have even been in the same interview um, that we were listening to, Paul. That I, I was going to save it to the end, but maybe I think it's important to put it in now. This is a quote by one David Gilmore. Tom, are you still with us? You're kind of frozen. Oh, yeah, there you are. I understand, and he's talking about, about Roger's lyrics specifically. He says, I understand and appreciate a lot of what Roger has said in his lyrics, and I don't think he's wrong. But he's just looking at it from a different angle to the angle that I look at life from. And if you listen to, and, and it's funny because, again, Roger and David are never in the same room at the same time. They're asked the same question in completely different ways. And their, their answers are, it's a study in, in perspective, right? David Gilmore, by his own admission, and the thing I love about Gilmore is, and I've said this before, I mean, he, he looks generally unassuming, but David Gilmore loves being a rock star. That's what he wants to be. He wants the scale and the spectacle. I mean, those the the, the delicate sound of thunder and the the pulse tours, and they were bigger than anything anyone had ever done, and they were they were awesome. They were incredible because in in David's perspective, that's exactly what you want. You have the ability to stage the biggest spectacle you can. Let's do it. And, and you know, that, that doesn't invalidate Roger's perspective. Um, but it, it it's just, I don't know. It, it's sort of like the, the rant I went on last episode or the episode for whenever it was. I, I just, I don't always care for, for Roger's perspective because... On the one hand, he's sitting here crying boo hoo hoo, and I, you know, I want people to connect with me, and and I understand for Roger that's important because Roger has this message, and he wants to give you that message, and and I guess for his perspective, it's important if you're not if you're not there to receive his message, he would just as soon not have you there, which I guess makes sense, um, but it's the same thing when he talks about you know, like I said, we. we uh, there's an awful lot of what seems to be retconning on, you know, what Darkseid was all about and how important it really was. And, you know, I, I'll never just forget that interview um, in for Darkseid when he's talking about, you know, the, the song mm -hmm. Money. And he's like, you know, at some point when you, when you make a bunch of money, you've got to decide if you're a capitalist or not. Because even if you put it in a bank, it's going to be invested somewhere. I mean, and, and I don't know, maybe someone can tell me if they know, because I don't know and I haven't, I haven't done my research here. Does Roger oh. Waters give away all his money? Cause no. I, well, he, fuck he, no. Cause I've, I've given Roger Waters a, a good chunk of change here <laughs> in the last four years. So. Oh, my sources say that, that he went from wife number one to wife number two and he adopted bit of a different view of his finances with wife number two. I see. Similar to Rick Wakeman, he's sort of always just paying <laughs> en endless streams of uh, alimony. 
So, I, like I said, I'm just I'm conflicted because Tom, I understand exactly what you're saying, and and I can understand how it would be important with for Roger, but there there just always seems to be this, for lack of a better phrase, this wine factor around Roger that that doesn't always line up with everything that he seems to do. So I yeah. I don't know how to process it. I I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I mentioned the whole pig was ironic thing, right? So because, you know, it is. It's like, you know, here he is. He writes arguably the greatest concept album ever uh, based on, you know, this event that happens and his feeling of, you know, alienation from large audiences. And then and here he is, how many years later, uh, literally not only just doing one of those large alienating type performances, but like literally encouraging the fans to not pay attention to what he's doing and here, play with this giant pig. Um, I just, you know, but you know, life changes people's perspective changes. I, I think the problem that I will have with Roger Waters is that, you know, I'm okay with his perspective changing. I, I, I just, you know, I, I think his time has come and gone. I just need think he needs to shut the fuck up and, and just play his music and just get on with it. Um, he's too old, just like all of our other politicians, and he should just be quiet. Um, that's just my opinion. Here's here's something, though, that uh, I love about that story, because I always thought, like, I never really assigned necessarily anything negative to Roger Waters spitting on a fan. Uh, to me, it was always, it was more romantic to me, like, Here's a guy who always wanted to be a rock star. Now he is a rock star, larger than life, and he comes face to face with, you know, the alienation that that creates, which a lot of, you know, so many, so many superstars do. And his reaction to it is to turn around and write a concept album that literally catapults the band to an even bigger place than they than they could ever be. And you know, to me, it was always just like a a hero kind of story, um, you know, and then the final cut happened and, you know, things changed. Well, well I, mean, I guess my, my question for Paul and Joe, because it seems like you guys have similar feelings on this. I can't, I, I'm not quite, I, I, I kind of know where you, you stand, but I've, I've, just based on what you guys just said, Joe and Paul, I mean, what's wrong about, What's wrong with singing about what's wrong with the world? Actually, I mean, not, that's rock and roll. I nothing, mean, that, isn't that rock and roll? I mean, you're 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 yeah. trying to make the world a better place. It sounds like a like a cheesy Michael Jackson song, right? But I mean, it, it's really you want to create awareness, and you're you're venting, and you're pissed off at certain things or the way they are. It's what's been that? 74 minutes, Tom, and you sound like a Cylon. <laughs> you're Cylon mode now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, so thank you for saying that tom though i want to just clarify while we while we wait for the cylon uh to I, I don't have a problem at all with singing about the troubles and and creating music about it it's all the extemporaneous bullshit that i have to deal with on twitter and on on instagram and any anything else i'm not interested you know i, I i'll i'll say this it used to piss me off about Bruce Springsteen too, because you know he would have a three-hour set, and he'd always decide he had to pontificate about his politics on a show. And I just thought eh, you don't need to do that. And and uh, if it's in your music, it's in your music. That's that's fine. 
But the thing that's so wonderful about Bruce Springsteen is he put out that um, autobiography, which is epic. And you feel like you know him as the real person and you know you under you don't need to hear any of his politics because you understand his whole life and and um and i love that uh you know th so that that's all i just want to clarify that just keep it in the music that's fine and 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 for me i think it's it, and i believe i said this somewhere on the, on the palaver it is in some respects admirable that he's the age he is and he is still so passionate. I thought it was very, very funny seeing him here in Texas, which is very, very red. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, Roger's views of the world are very not red. And yeah. when you get the, you know, whatever the anti-Trump, you know, airship floating around the arena was and and a lot of these video clips and things like that I, in real time i was thinking wow i wonder how this is playing because you know i i mean i'm not uh, quite frankly you know i think a lot about politics and things like that and i don't anticipate going to a rock concert and having my views particularly swayed one way or the other so I don't need to sort of spend my energy in that moment thinking about what Roger's trying to tell me. Um, I'm, I'm evaluating the manner in which Roger is telling me and whether I think he's done a good job or not, it's not going to impact me either way. But in that particular moment, I'm like, you know, this guy's got big freaking balls and I, I can respect that. So yeah. I, I get that, but I just, I don't understand why he's still so angry. I, I don't. Ken? Um, I am clearly the sympathetic voice to Roger Waters, and I believe him 100%. I, I mean, I don't need Roger Waters. I have other interests and sources that carry me through this. It's not that he is manipulating me or changing me or influencing me. But I am in full agreement with one Roger Waters that in Venezuela, uh, the U.S. tried to stage a hard coup against Nicolas Maduro in favor of their guy, Juan Guaido. Um, while in the past, many of our U.S. efforts have been clandestine and a bit fuzzy and kind of subjective, I think it, it, it's pretty clear that what this administration attempted was a hard coup and it's kind of like the, the the cat's out of the bag and and i believe that roger is right and he was right all along and I, I i admire his honesty i'll leave it there i find it very interesting that ken and i are on the same page on this <laughs> on venezuela <laughs> or on well, roger well, not necessarily venezuela but the <laughs> roger water i i i think that you know Good for him for saying what he believes, and he doesn't do it in a preachy way. I mean, yes, in an interview, what? in an interview, what? If, listen, all right, if you listen to an interview, yeah, but through his music, well, that's I, what I'm I talking about. That's I'm talking about in the interview. Very artistic. And, and, right? and I, I love. Right, let's get back to animals, okay? We're yeah, supposed let's, to talk let's about get, animals. Let's get back yeah. to I mean, thank, thank you, Tom, because I love. Dogs, I love the way he does it in his music. I think his, yeah. I think well, the lyrics are brilliant. If I, yeah, I got and and maybe it's the maybe I have to blame the palaver because before we started this segment, I hadn't watched a whole lot of Roger Waters interviews and it didn't make me so angry. 
<laughs> but but Tom Boy. brings up a good point. We um you know we're we're crikes uh, half an hour into this and we haven't even talked about the last half of the album yet. So if we uh, if we turn our our vinyl over and uh, we get uh, we get pigs three different ones. Now yeah, allow me to do just a little thing that you can manipulate in your uh, little audio. There. Oh please but. do. So, pigs, three different ones. You know, and we've talked about this before. I, I, I think in this particular case, correct me if I'm wrong, the, um, the animal sounds here in this particular case, the, the pigs, they're actual animal sounds, right? Not, uh, not Richard doing some sort of keyboardy magic or anything like that. It's, it's actual pigs. And, you know, I think it's, it's extraordinarily well done. I, I do like the way this album, um, you know, sort of uses the animal motif. And I, you know, I, Pink Floyd is very good at this, this, this sort of, um, this sort of sound design thing. And, and I was just listening today to the episodes on, um, on Moore and Omegama. And, you know, I mean, they, these guys have been doing this for a while. And I think they, they do it particularly well. I love I love the Wright and Waters intro to this. It's just, it's fantastic. And, you know, I guess we have to say the obvious. If, if Roger Waters was unhappy with, with Roy Harper singing vocals on Have a Cigar, this was his chance to redo that. <laughs> right. You know, huh. this, this song is Son of Have a Cigar. And, um, yeah, I, I just... I, I I love the way it, there's there's just so much about this like you know it, it when we when we cut off the episode last week yeah obviously the the second half was there so at some point I believe it was Friday of last week I was cooking dinner for the kids um, before they came over and and I I traditionally put on some sort of vinyl while I'm I'm cooking before they come over and so I started on side two with this and man. I was just rocking the hell out. It was, it's, it's pretty badass when you get right into this. This, this song, we were talking about Roger's lyrics. This, this is one of those songs. It has one of those lines that just make your jaw drop. And for me, the, the line in this particular song is, you radiate cold shafts of broken glass. Mm. Oh, how descriptive Ooh, is that? You know? Nice. I just, ooh. It's, it's spectacular. I think it's funny. You know, again, this is one of these deceptively long songs. The second verse is finished in four minutes in an 11-minute song. It's amazing how much stuff goes on in here. You know, while you say that, I have to admit, the other albums are easier for me to jam to and remember and memorize when I, when animals came up, I'm like, I don't know. It's three songs that play the same chord the whole time. I'm just going to sit there and jam along. There's not a lot going on musically. I was wrong. <laughs> there are a lot of bits to remember. A lot of good gems in, in, mm. in the in these pieces. But but Ken, that's an excellent point though, because and and this goes back to I think one of the first points we ever made. But yeah, I mean, I, you know, we talked at the at the first part of the the first episode how you know this album is always sort of perceived 
as as maybe half a step below, you know, dark side. Wish you were here in the wall, right? And I, and I think this is part of it. But it's it's not that it's not as good. It just doesn't appear. You know, it's not as catchy. Maybe. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so after last last talk that we had, there were there were two things that really stuck with me. Ken, you did just an exceptional review of the context leading up to this album and a little bit after. And um, and right towards the end, Tom, you started bringing up about like production qualities, like sort of questioning, you know, does this not sound, you know, as good as I think it should? And so, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so uh, I had, I, you know, I've never done this. It's amazing to think about like all the time we've spent talking about all these albums. I've never spent like a couple of nights like listening to all of the contextual pieces that I could to kind of frame where this record is. So I spent time this week and I listened to, um, you know, not necessarily all in order, but I listened to tracks from trick of the tail going for the one, uh, the grand illusion. I listened to, um, Kansas left overture and also, um, I listened to a point of no return and, and I, I just listened to those because those were some of my favorite points that were contextual around animals sort of before and after. And it, it sort of drove home for me that, that, um, animals is a little bit deservedly underrated in my opinion because it's super dark um and sort of to your point ken there's there's so much there but it's all kind of hidden under this like gloominess and and um and 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 when i compared it to the contextual pieces right the production and granted like sticks and kansas were american progressive bands that are very different from the the approach. Like, there's no mistaking when you put in "Trick of the Tail" or "Left Overture," which one is which, right? And where and which side of the pond either one of those two bands are on. But generally speaking, everything is a lot more bright, brighter in sound, brighter in tone. Even the pensive lyrics are more upbeat, and everyone is fucking singing their balls off. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. So I really, you know, it was kind of funny because I came out of our session last week thinking, oh my God, yes, like animals is like the equal of all the others. And, you know, and, and then after this week of, of listening more and de- developing context, I started thinking the opposite way. And then today my wall of vinyl came in and I put that on. And after one side, I was like, fuck animals, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it happened. Well, animals, um, uh, pigs is, I think, first of all, very, very catchy. Um, I know it's a long song and it's not necessarily radio friendly because of the makeup, but I think that, uh, I mean, the, the chorus is extremely catchy. So I, I do wonder 
with a song like that, why it has maybe taken the back seat. There's probably a lot of answers to that, mm. but getting to the, the makeup of this song, I was listening to this earlier today and I, I was noticing that each member of the band in, in this song just has like the little thing that they play. Like, Ken, the the, the 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 little arpeggio you were playing, and, and then the and then and Gilmore comes in with the dan 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 dan, dan, dan and then and nothing is like super complicated, but it all just fits perfect. I mean, it's just like it mm. kind of reminds me of how Abacab starts out. I mean, I'm not I'm not talking about the album. I'm talking about the song, like how that song starts. Everything there's like very simple pieces, okay? It's not like yeah. you're like it's not it doesn't sound like prod, okay? When you when the song Abacab starts, it just sounds like a, a pop mm. a, a well written pop song. Everyone has their little simple piece, but it somehow fits in there. It's just so tasty and it just it just is is well done. And I think getting back to animals, each each player just doesn't overplay and and they're just right in the pocket and then when, when it starts out you're just you're right there with it okay you're just you're listening to the the keyboard part you're 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 listening to david gilmore's part uh you're you're i mean you're listening to, to everything and you can sort of like taste it the way <laughs> it, it's not like a, a bunch of stuff and I'm not saying their other stuff is by by any means, but like this is more specific because it's it just it just comes together. But um, I I don't know. I I think that this song, the beauty of this song, is the fact that you can talk about the problems in the world, but you can still have a, a good song. And um, I know. So Paul, so where did you finally? come when you were talking to when, when you were debating whether or not the production was uh, hot or, or not I, so I, yeah i definitely i i definitely think it it suffers i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's produced nearly as well as the others in the in this quote-unquote main sequence and right. in the in the comparison of everything around it yeah you know and it and and listen it's not like it's terrible it's not like uh, some of the other albums, like Test for Echo, where I can't even put that on because I'm just like, oh yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's just that the choice that they made for this sort of darkness, you know, just seems to, you know, it just it it like you said, Tom, it's a little muddy. It's a little not, could you know, they still I think they still could have achieved the darkness with with better tone. But to your point, your I think you're absolutely right. This song, like. The little things that they do in this in in pigs, the um, you know when he's in the bus stop at the Rat Bag or whatever, and 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 it's got that cool effect on his voice, and it's mm -hmm. real, and the cowbells going on in the back. I mean, that's that's pretty badass. So it's like all yeah. those little parts really and constructed nicely. I I wonder, Tom. I mean, I, I'm agreeing with, with with both of you guys, Paul. Your point. This pales to the wall. And Tom, your point that it's uh, it's probably the peak of this particular genre of Floyd, wherein the architects, Roger Waters and Nick Mason, 
do have that perfectly crafted beginning with with the sections and the instruments are very deliberately placed like architecture as opposed to the more esoteric musicians write Gilmore. So, so it, 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 this might be the peak of the, you know, designed Floyd or, or the crafted Floyd that we've come to love. And, and this, this brings me really to a point that I, I, I've kind of wanted to throw out and this seems like a really good time to do it. We have spent a lot of time discussing Roger Waters in terms of his lyrics, his worldview, his politics. We've never really talked about Roger Waters as a bass player. He gets to play around a little bit here. Now, again, it's not its not anything flashy. He's never going to be accused of being Mike Rutherford or Chris Squire. But, I mean, he gets to sort of step out a little bit here and, and you know, flex just a little bit, which is kind of cool, right? Yes. Yeah. Love it. Could this be a mastering problem? Could could this have sounded brilliant through the monitors at Britannia Road and like, oh, what happened? You know, I'm I'm just wondering if 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 you know they didn't necessarily want this to sound as muddy as it does. I, you know, what's funny, Ken, is I actually it's <laughs> last week when we when we were actually listening to this, I used to think this album sounded fucking awesome. And I think it still does. Like it's still so much fun to put on and listen to. It kind of engulfs you. The uh, this song, I'm like, you know, Tom, you 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 mentioned the dan 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 dan. Like that fucking tone is just right where, just right where you want it to be. Oh yeah. And and you know, and so I I think it probably I think it does sound awesome, Ken. I think it just, you know, it's almost like when I step back and put a little bit of my, you know, more production hat on. I'm like, ah, you know, those guitars are really pretty beefy in the low mids. Like that seems odd. And, you know, and then as I'm listening, you know, Tom's mentioning, I think it's a little muddy. And I'm like, yeah. And then when I compared it to the, the other albums around this, I definitely think it, you know, it, it just fell a little short. That's all. But you're right. I mean, it still sounds great. Mm-hmm. I'd be ha- like if my next album sounded like this, I'd I'd be pretty happy. So just I'll just go ahead. <laughs> I wouldn't be complaining. I'd be happy too. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, on the part and that part on pigs, the he's not using the delay pedal on that part, is he? I don't think so. Which I think is genius. After there's so much delay that they've were using before in different albums and different songs. And it's like the perfect delay part, but he's not he's not using delay. He's actually playing it. You know, we've got the three verses here, and so Roger talks about three different people or different types of people, um, all within the same sort of um, melodic framework, all the cool stuff. I do think um, the Gilmore solo at the end of this is more in line, maybe, with some of the more well-known solos. I made the point in the last episode that some of the the guitar work on here while brilliant is not necessarily as memorable ken to your point as as some of the other things that that david is most known for but i i do think the the guitar solo here at the end of this song comes close to that comes very close maybe just a quick look at the chords uh i i did have a beef with e minor in the previous album wish you were here between 
welcome to the machine and have a cigar is a little bit overwhelming being in the same key all the time. Um, and here we are back to you minor, but I don't know. You sure he doesn't have a delay pedal? <laughs> I, was gonna say, I, I, I definitely want to look into that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should check. I, I really don't think he does. Or at um, least a slap back. It I'm doesn't. I'm a delay, but it, I mean, this is interesting, though. I'm, I'm definitely going to look into it. Yeah, check it, check it out because it, it doesn't like sort of decay at all. It's just pretty standard. And then right before he does it again, he does this like so he's like you know oh, yeah, you yeah, can yeah. feel the strumming. It's it's interesting. I could be either way, but. Well, I mean, I, I, I just love the way Roger Waters, you know, uh, mixes the major and the minor chords. So he's, bust up, big rat. I really love that C. And the G is just, just, just beautiful. And, and then back up to the E minor. So n n n nothing too surprising there, but it's just beautiful. Um, but they... He doesn't let us get bored in that key. And then, you know, he's doing some stuff with the A in the next section that really pushes it up a little bit. And then, and then you know, back through an, an, another verse. Uh, keep, keeps me pretty interested. And I would say that the instrumental really defines it. I would say is the secret sauce of the entire song. Yeah. That's wonderful. If yeah. they didn't go there, it wouldn't be that creepy Floyd jazz thing. Yeah. But once they got there, you, Oh, okay, good. Now I recognize this band. So, so I, I'm, I'm very happy with my, my, uh, C major to kind of the, uh, bit of a B flat chord if you want to call it that so when you were talking earlier Ken about um, you know if if Nick and Roger sort of built the framework and presumably well no this is all waters right so those chords are coming from 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 Roger not something that Rick or David is doing right oh you know what I remember making jokes about water splitting the writing credits with himself by 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 <laughs> making the first song the same as the last song right but apparently he did everything possible to get gilmore on dogs right isn't that where where gilmore's writing that's correct really shine yeah. was on dogs so to support what you're saying joe yes this this cool stuff is attributed entirely to waters so, so it's an example of him not necessarily needing Rick right over his shoulder to, to say, "Hey, do something cool." Well, I just when you talked about the uh, the jazzy Pink Floyd, that made me think of Richard. So that's why I, I brought that up. But yeah, I'd forgotten I'd forgotten momentarily who the uh, the songwriters are credited as in this. So, I have one final chord up my sleeve. Um, well, after they've gone through that four times and you get around to just like, you know, you take it back up and you bring it back down and then you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen now? 
that's a B major chord, wonderfully acting as the, the major seventh to do the 5-1 to get you back to the E minor. We love our B major chord. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So, and then we, we move on into sheep. Now, sheep, sheep's a bit of a sleeper for me. Sheep has shown up, I believe, uh, on at least a couple of, of compilations. I know it's on Echoes, the best of Pink Floyd, certainly. Um, I, but, you know, when you think about, I, when I have traditionally thought about this song, Sheep is maybe the last of the, of the three big ones that I think about. But again, when I was listening to this, just starting on side two, uh, Sheep, I, I, I think maybe I don't react to sheep because of the animals in question. Like you know, you think the sheep are the the least important or whatever. Uh, but and, and it's it's funny because I I you know it's one of those things I hadn't really ever looked at the the lyrics for this and the 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 middle part with the Def Leppard loves bites thing going on. I had <laughs> no idea that there was a whole bunch of words that were actually being spoken there. And yeah. so I, I was kind of blissfully unaware of what was going on, but, but musically it's very energetic. It's very driving. And you have, you know, like you have, even if you're not paying attention, like I sometimes don't, you have the impression that there's something going on here. There's a lot of energy. There's, ah. And then when I, you know, preparing for this, and I pulled out the the lyrics from the CD, and and I, and I read what's actually being said there in that vocoder bit. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me down to lie, through pastures green. He leadeth me the silent waters by. He maketh me to hang on hooks in high places. He converteth me to lamb cutlets. For lo, he hath great power and great hunger. When cometh the day, we lowly ones, through quiet um, reflection and great dedication, master the art of karate, lo, we shall rise up, and then we will make the bugger's eyes water. <laughs> and then, you know, you start reading the... And, and you, you read the rest of the lyrics, right? So... And again, it's one of those things where I knew the lyrics, but I hadn't really paid attention to them in the last verse. Bleeding and babbling, I fell on his neck with a scream. Wave upon wave of demented avengers marched cheerfully out of obscurity into the dream. Have you heard the news? The dogs are dead. You better stay home and do as you're told. Get out of the road if you want to grow old. So, you know, it's just... It's it's very very graphic. I fell on his neck with a scream, and so you have you know and and obviously the the allegory here is is very obvious. But I mean, just if there was something about this particular time when I I I read these, you know, maybe because I was I was thinking very hard about this album and I hadn't done so before, but this particular time when I pulled out these lyrics and I'm I'm reading them. They, the images that started popping into my head were very, very graphic. And it's like, 
oh, okay, now suddenly the music makes a whole lot more sense. And I just, I, so, so I'm, I'm irrationally fixated on sheep at this point. We credit all of the vocoder to Roger Waters on dogs and on sheep. We do? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I assumed at some point, just as a casual listener, that Gilmore was doing something and and I used I, I I used the words talk box uh, last week, and I believe I was wrong. Well, he does use a talk box, I think, on pigs, even though we didn't talk about it for uh, for a lot of his solos. But yeah, oh. but, but you're right. Uh, Waters is credited with the vocoder. You know, it, I'm I'm with you, Joe. I I didn't realize that there were lyrics being spoken there through the vocoder. Yeah. After I read them, I I. I'm would I'm just happy enough. I would be just as happy if there weren't lyrics being spoken there, because <laughs> um, I, I I you know I I get what's going on there, but but I I just don't think it's executed uh, as well as the lyrics have been in the last you know three four albums, right? Right. And um and uh and yeah i i I actually wonder if somebody said "Eh, you know what why don't you use that vocoder thing and uh we'll bury it in the mix (laughs) (laughs) well i mean even just reading them like i just now did they you know it doesn't it doesn't flow particularly well but yeah the fact that i had no idea for all these years (laughs) that that much was being said under there it, it, it is a very curious sort of thing. Well, now I'm on a quest to find out how many rock albums have both simultaneous talk box and vocoder. Okay. Huh. That's, uh, wow. We've established that it's definitely happening here. It's definitely happening yeah. here. No doubt about it. So, um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be curious what the Palaver Research I, Department brings up on that. I, one, I wonder if, I, I don't remember any, talk box in paradise theater but that could be a possible go-to album to check out that um, seems <laughs> talk box seems like something that uh who's the other guitarist J- jy jy yeah. is it james young james jy young yeah, yeah. So, it sounds like something he would do yeah so you know the thing about sheep for me is that i you know i really feel like i think i probably mentioned that in some ways you know like um welcome to the machine and most of animals is just the waters, you know, practicing for the masterpiece, if you will. I, th- I feel like sheep sits very comfortably in. It's almost like a transitional song between. Um, uh, what's the name of that song on metal? Uh, one of these days. Or is it something else? I can't. What's or the- echoes. Echoes is the big one. No, no, no! It's like the hit that they had. Oh yeah, um, um, yeah. One, one of these days. days. Yeah, yeah. The, the the instrumental. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I feel like it sits perfectly between that song and uh, "Run Like Hell," especially with the end chords um, in "Sheep," and um, and and so like somehow this song always, you know, definitely finished in last place. Uh, on the record, even though I will say this go around, I've been really jamming on like the, the big chunky guitar chords at the end. Yeah. I love, yeah. And I love during the verse, 
you know, when he, you know, he'll end the line and he'll hold it out and it just kind of fades into the keyboard sound. I love that effect. And they do it, you know, and through the verses, which I think is, is, is really, really cool. It kind of worries me that the song with the best tempo on the album, I mean, this has got all the juice. This yeah. has got, got all the, the, the speed. Um, it's just funny that the slowest animal becomes what the dog and then the pigs in the middle and the sheep is the fastest. I guess there's no tie in between the tempo and the animal. It just happened to work out. That way. I, I want to say that this was my, in, in my, in my original, my, my original like discovery of the most obvious fact about, you know, any progressive rock album that, that this was, you know, loosely based off of, um, you know, George Orwell's Animal Farm. Um, that you know, that was what I was getting from all of this about taking up karate and fell on his neck, right? You know, that the sheep were actually rising up and taking over, uh, taking over and killing the dogs, and uh, but then as soon as they did that, they were basically saying, "Now you need to go run and hide because you know you're going to be next." Um, which I don't know that is really the way that Animal Farm went, because I clearly haven't read it. But um, <laughs> but there there is that sense of you know some you know you know very often your liberator becomes your captor. And, and I think it's it's interesting um, in the fact that obviously Animal Farm was written with regards to communism in the Soviet Union, but the song or the, the album Animals sort of takes that framework and applies it to 1970s Britain, apparently. So, yeah. you know, and, and this is something again, that, that Roger seems very adept at is, is pointing out maybe some of the, uh, the fallacies, if that's the right word in who's the, the good guys versus the bad guys. And, and, you know, by all accounts, and, and again, I think we can, um, and I, I don't know at what point he, he emigrated to the U.S., but we can ask our friend uh, Ken Fuller when we have him on to talk about this, you know, if he has any perspective on, you know, what the U.K. was like in the uh, in the 70s. But I, I've seen a couple of unrelated things that suggest, you know, there were some some things going on here. And, uh, you know, again, it was it was even borne out um, in the Joe Strummer book that we had talked about and, and things of that mm -hmm. nature. So, yeah, I, I'll be, uh, you know, it, and again, you know, Tom, back to the point that we were talking about half an hour ago, you know, lyrically in, in, in within the song structure, Roger is fantastic about getting his message across. And I, like I said, for me, Sheep does this. Uh, it, I always got the message musically, but lyrically this time it, it becomes very, very graphic for me and uh, very effective. He, he is a poet, no doubt. There's a lot for me to like what he does with this musically. Of course, we're just very dark and gloomy and rocking between the E minor and the A minor and back to the E minor. What, what makes this a Floyd song where we get our juice is on the right there. Yeah. On that F sharp, taking the two chord and making it happy. Wow, that's a, that's a funky little jam they're throwing in your face there and then that a is it's pure rock and roll i feel that very bluesy right there and back to the 
What's he saying there? You better watch out. There may be dogs about. Yeah. Well, I looked over yeah. Jordan and I've seen things are not what they seem. Kind of really sinister, groovy, bluesy here. Really like it. Mm. And, and that that holds up most of the song. Paul, you referred to the end and there, there, there are like multiple YouTube guys taking their shot at the end and I've seen some things. The one that I'm happy with, phrase that I'm happy with is at the end. On that last chord, you gotta bend it. So I'm hearing this big. Gilmore always gives a little dirt to that last yeah. Yeah. D major there. They're all major chords. And then I think I'm really digging this. Um, but he does a D in two different voicings. He goes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Just, 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 it's, it, and it's not classic Gilmore. I don't want to say it's like a stretch for him, but, but, but it, it's just not what you would expect him to do. It, he's, he, he, it's cool the way the way he pulls this out, because the song could have just died, and I, I think they all knew it needed something to bring it to life, and 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 for me, for me, like you, you clearly said, oh, you get to yeah. just 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 get big and fuzzy at the end. You do, yeah, yeah. Can can hearing you play that, yeah, Paul, I definitely agree with what you're saying. It's definitely the beginnings of uh, Run Like Hell. Mm. You can definitely tell that that's uh, yes. the, the genesis, if you will, of, of, of Run Like Hell, hearing hearing Ken play those those parts. And Run Like Hell is peak Floyd, absolute peak Floyd, and it's a shame that Wright doesn't have anything to do with it. But it's just so good in the back and forth between... Waters and Gilmore is just just not to be found anywhere else in the catalog. We will get to that. Knock on wood, if we we will get quit to flapping it. our jaws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so yeah, I mean, I for, like I said, for me, Sheep is is a bit of a sleeper, and I really do like it. And it's it's just a it's a great way to sort of to end the uh, the record, I think. And then we get back into. Were, were you trying to make a joke? Sheep being a sleeper because you count sheep when you're kind of. I wasn't, but that's really good, Tom. Oh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> and um, and so then we we finish up on uh, part two of Pigs on the Wing. So you know I, what I'm I'm interested about this particular song is you know it, as you read the lore and you you hear about this and you know this is where. You know the the snowy white legend begins, and apparently, you know, as it was told in in Nick's book, "Pigs on the Wing" was apparently a single song. It had a David Gilmore guitar solo on it, and Snowy White is brought to Britannia Row to uh, interview or meet the band or do whatever it is they were going to do. And at this point, Roger and Nick had taken over the control room and somehow erased David's solo. And as as Nick 
um, very <laughs> rightly points out, it seemed like a really good time to recognize Roger's seniority. And um, <laughs> so they invited, they invited Snowy to, to lay down a solo on, on this. And apparently it, it, they kept it. And on the 8-track version, as we mentioned on the last episode, this particular intact version of Pigs on the Wing was in fact released. I have never heard this. I have not taken the time to go look for it. I'm sure we can find it on the interwebs, and I probably should do that, because I'm really curious to hear what Pigs on the Wing sounds like as an intact, you know, fully formed song. Maybe Friends of the Plaver can bail us out there. I'm like I said. I'm I'm sure it's available. Surprisingly, I'm not. I'm not that curious. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you know, Snowy White. Like I said, I, I'm fascinated on Snowy White because he does. You know, he does sort of weave himself into the lore here. But I mean, in terms of of Pigs on the Wing Part Two, I I, I don't have that much to say about it. It's a yeah, I, I can't decide if I like this as a way to, to end the album. I can't, uh, you know, it, it's it's a slightly different, you know, spin on the first part. You know that I care what happens to you, and I know that you care for me. So I don't feel alone or the weight of the stone now that i found somewhere safe to bury my bone. And any fool knows a dog needs a home, a shelter from pigs on the wing. Now, reading that reminded me of the one, the one YouTube video that I sent to you guys, yes. and Paul. Hopefully, we can we can put this on our show notes. There, there's a there's a gentleman, and I I, I apologize that I don't re recall his name, but again, we hopefully will be able to to put this on the show notes. Who who's who has a, a short video <laughs> that goes into the the meaning of, of I'm, animals as the whole? Yes, Paul? I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I'm going into my YouTube history to find that, and I'm scrolling through episode and episode over pizza reviews. <laughs> oh my uh, god! Sorry. <laughs> and 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 he. You know, it, and again, I don't know that I necessarily buy into it, but he does make a very interesting argument. And he talks uh, specifically about that, that last little part of Pigs on the Wing. Because mm. um, he, he talks about, you know, if, if Roger Waters is, is the dog... Um, because he was, you know, they were businessmen at this point, and and Nick Mason goes into that. You know, they had all this money from uh, from Darkside, and they were invested in all sorts of things, and it, it didn't work out very well. But they, you know, they owned the the studio and everything else. And and as we talked about, you know, Roger seems to have some sort of an, an overall plan. Um, but he talks about, you know, at the end of the story, you know, the dog needs somewhere to to go home to and he, he talks he focuses in on that so i don't feel alone or the weight of the stone and he goes into how the the imagery of of the stone shows up throughout this album and, and kind of ties it in and it's it's really like i said i don't know that i believe it but i found it to be very thought-provoking so that's why i think it would be sort of important maybe to put it out there and let our listeners you know, contemplate that on their own and, and see what they think. And and I would say in this in this particular interpretation of animals, 
and we talked about this um, on the last episode, whether or not the uh, a dog needs a place to, or now that I've found somewhere safe to bury my bone, whether that was um, a euphemism okay. or a metaphor, and we we said that it was both. In in this particular interpretation, it is purely metaphor, and it is not, in fact, euphemistic at all, which I thought was was kind of nice. Maybe it's yeah, a single I, entendre. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so are you saying that it's that in that interpretation it's a single entendre? Yes. I, I think yeah. I, I think he's not talking about actually, you know, stooping. He's, he's See, I, I think that's the gene I think that's the genius of the line, right? Because he's he's you know, it's it, it, it's both. Um I, I don't know. Uh, it's it, if, the if, this were, the, if this were Peter Gabriel, I would. I mean, well, Peter Gabriel would have said something much more graphic, so we wouldn't even have that conversation. But <laughs> yeah, it's a it's lie likes music is the channel, and um, and I'll put it on the notes. Yeah, I, I think to me, I I I so I think this dude over over accentuates the stone reference. And pigs, uh, you know, they're bringing back the the echo delay from dogs. I, I, my, just my opinion. I think he's, I think he's over emphasizing what what that really means. But um, I, I do, I do, I've always thought that that, you know, I, I, when I say always, I mean like in the last couple of weeks when I actually started listening to the song. Um, I, I feel like pigs on the wing has a really nice way of wrapping up this, this album. And, you know, when he writes the, the, the line, so I don't feel alone or the weight of the stone. Now that I found somewhere to bury my bone, like I, he brings it all, you know, and he mentions a dog, he mentions a pig, like he brings it all together. It, it really, there's a, I think I said last time, there's a, there's a certain amount of comfort in, in this, that, you know, whether you're a pig, whether you're a sheep or whether you're a dog, you know, everybody's looking to do the same thing and go home and, you know, and, and, and be with somebody that, that cares about them, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and I, I think it's a little genius that he gets that across and says, you know, to bury my bone. And I think it's both in the regular and euphemistic sense. And, and I do like the way that, you know, the to your point, Paul, and any fool knows a dog needs a home, a shelter from pigs on the wing. And and mm. it, it it gives it really does end the album on this this sense of security. Because again, as we mentioned, this is a dark album. You go lots of different places and the music takes you in all sorts of directions and you have this this, you know, graphic and 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 sometimes, um, you know, angry, if that's the right word, um, lyrics going on. And, and so it does sort of, it, it, it takes you out of that world and puts you in a safe space as you, as you end the album, which is, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I will note that in that video, when the guy talked about the, those last lines and he mentioned bury my bone he actually made the bone plural yeah which he did. totally totally changed which 
you know. Does anyone have familiarity with the, was it a BBC interview? There was some extent, maybe you guys have already referenced it, but there, in my book, they talked about an extended interview that Roger did around this period. <laughs> is this, is this familiar to you, Joe? Oh, I, I laugh because I thought it was, but I'm, I'm now thinking I may have crossed my wires with another story from the wall, but maybe, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'll have to suss that out. I'll have to re- rewind the book and, and figure out what's going on there because I, I, I just remember something about a reporter who finally made it in with, with Roger and, and, and it was something long, I think, three parts or something. Hmm. I mean, they were always so crappy with the media, as it were, like, like you know, um, telling somebody that they had an exclusive, but then somebody else would play it day before. You know, lots of shitty things happened with the media throughout the, the peak Floyd period. So that takes us finally to the end of Animals. Any sort of closing thoughts? I mean, you know, I, I, I think it, it sets the stage for what's going to go next. And and it's interesting, you know, again, in interviews by the band, they talk about, you know, in, in, with the dark side, they achieve this, everything their their all their wildest dreams were achieved. So at that point, what are you doing this for? And, you know, Roger decides he has a, a platform for his message and that's cool. And he very clearly has, um, vision, of, of what he wants to accomplish and, you know, whether or not he ends up subsuming the entire band in so doing, we can have that conversation and we've talked a lot about that, but you know, it's, again, once you've achieved that stardom, what do you do with it? And, and clearly Roger Waters has an idea of what he wants to do with it. I've heard in one interview that this was, you know, everyone was taken aback by the anger in this record and didn't know where it came from. And, and the person, the, the personal look, it, the wall created sort of gave that context. I don't know that I believe that. I think this is, this is Roger Waters <laughs> looking at the UK. At because the careful with that ax, Eugene was so happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, exactly. Well, you know, I, I think, I, I think this is, this is Roger saying, Hey, this is a problem. I think, the wall, it, it was appropriate at that point to bring in some of his, his own past because the, ultimately the, the story, the central story of the wall was about how Roger felt alienated from his audience. And so that's part of it. I think this is a, a more socio-political um, incrimination of what was going on in, in the UK at the time, as I understand it. So I get it. I'm not going to go as deep as you, Joe. I'm just going to say they needed a hell of a sound test, a hell of a sound check, a hell of a demo to get through just to make the wall badass. <laughs> so they, they needed to okay. troubleshoot Britannia Row. But the wall wasn't, as it turns out, the wall's not going to be re- recorded in Britannia Row, which is very, very fascinating. A whole other story. And they needed to learn the Britannia Row was shit. <laughs> Mucho? I was just going to say, it's good to know that Roger Waters isn't a complete one-trick pony. Like, I, I know, you know, we, 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 we've talked about 
the collaboration that they have done in the past and that this was not a collaboration and the wall was not a collaboration, at least in the form of, 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 of songwriting for the most part, a couple of small ex- exceptions. But um, it's, it's good to know that as flawed as Roger Waters is musically in the f- after this and with his solo albums, with the final cut, with, you know, different things. I mean, he definitely has talent. It just always doesn't come to fruition later on. Uh, I mean, Animals in the Wall are two major, major albums that, um, you know, anyone would, 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 would be happy with. So, I mean, I, I know, uh, and Joe, you mentioned at the beginning of this, I mean, there's, there's, definitely a conflicted side to Roger Waters, both with his, I mean, maybe politics and, and music. So having these two, having animals, and then what we'll talk about next week with the wall, having these two being such major musical successes, it, it sort of ends Pink Floyd on a, on a good note to me, even though it's not completely ending and it's not just one album that that's good. I mean, this is definitely a solid, solid album and it's mainly due to Roger Waters songwriting. I don't want to say that. I, I didn't really mean that just as songwriting because we talked about how great the, all, all, all these musical parts are, but I mean, this was a Roger Waters solo album but it was a damn good one as opposed to the final cut so this <laughs> makes me happy. wow <laughs> salvo <Wow>. fired <laughs> wow ah uh, right. yeah you know on the on those along those lines tom i think that I, I think roger waters would have told you that he was in charge of the band all the way back you know prior to dark side and and during dark side but and you know and lyrically maybe maybe that was true but you know clearly you know this this album and moving you know to the next two out after this you know it's you know roger waters has taken control over the creative um the creative direction of the band and um you know much the way this is just a silly comparison but uh but but i i don't want to vilify him for this so you know, much the way like Dennis DeYoung took over the creative direction of the band after Grand Illusion and, and you know, pushed them into areas that, you know, they ultimately became uncomfortable with, um, you know, it happens. And, and one of the things I think that happens in those, you know, when one person, and sometimes we've talked about it with Yes, too, when one person or one or two people take over the direction of the band, there's always that sort of glorious time when they're doing it. But the, even if the rest of the band isn't contributing like in the actual songwriting, they're contributing their heart and soul into it. And, um, and you, almost instantly when I started listening to The Wall today, it occurred to me like there is so much Gilmore here. Like he is, he is present in every single note that's happening on this record. And there's so much production influence. There's so many other pieces supporting that creative direction that Roger Waters has done. And, and I think what I'm going to, what I'm going to say now is my prediction is that when we get to the final cut, 
it's there's really not a lot of that going on it's more of just roger waters by himself and 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 so i i think i feel what you're saying like you're there's sort of there's sort of a redemptive quality to listening to animals because it's like yeah like this this album is pretty kick-ass it's not the wall but it's it's really kick-ass and it's it feel it feels good overall so i agree I want to give you guys some juice for 60 seconds, and then Joe, do your uh, spiel. Outstanding. Nice, Kenny G. All right. Gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been awesome. I look forward to our upcoming six-part series on the wall. (laughs) 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 So uh, until next time, we uh, thanks, guys. you've enjoyed this two-part edition of pink floyd animals we as always have enjoyed sharing the conversation with you and look forward to your thoughts comments questions and feedback you can reach us on twitter instagram or facebook we are at prog pala on all of those or search for progressive blabber and don't forget to look at our youtube page where paul has been posting our pre-show videos if you want to see what we look like in actuality you are also welcome to email us our email address is progpala at gmail.com progressive palaver is as always available for subscription and download on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify at some point pandora or presumably anywhere you find your podcast and we are hosted on soundcloud so until next time thanks for listening I'm tired as fuck. One more time. <laughs> Paul, I wish I wish you could bang on that Reverend bass while I'm doing this. That would keep me in time. Mm.